I mean, I, I never knew what an entrepreneur was. Um, both of my parents worked corporate jobs, nurse, engineer, same job since they got out of college. Um, cash in envelopes, no credit cards. And I started got it, getting to know these people that were like uber successful. And I always thought people that were uber successful like that had some sort of magic powers. Like they were born like that or I, I just thought I was different, that I wasn't like that. Um, and I started realizing these people are just people and not necessarily smarter. Like I, you know. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. We're super excited today to have Stacey Conti on. She is doing boutique hotels, Airbnb. She's a real estate investor in Daytona Beach. So Stacey, thank you so much for joining us. Take us in as always. What's the craziest real estate experience you have faced so far in your career? Oh, there's so many, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so, okay. This, this was a crazy one. Um, renovating this, this motel, uh, it was in the middle of transition and I'm meeting my, uh, she's my business partner at the property. So she's about 10 minutes ahead of me and we're on the phone talking and she gets there, she goes to open the utility room and she starts screaming that there's a man, there's a man, she thinks he's dead, he's passed out, no shirt on. I guess he, he broke in and uh, turns out he was not dead. I think he was just coming out of a hangover. Um, but that was a crazy one because she was, and I'm on the phone and you know, you're like so helpless. Like, what do I do? Um, but that was a wild one. Yeah. So, so he essentially was intoxicated appears, broke in, in a state of full intoxication and then immediately or shortly thereafter passed out on the floor. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> So, and then you're about ready to tell us another crazy thing. I mean, you're in the middle of renovating a crazy, uh, you know, boutique hotel for a second time. So can you take us into what that looks like, what that journey has been? Yeah, it's been a journey. Um, acquired this property. You know, I had the vision for what it was going to be a total transformation right across from the ocean though. So fabulous location, um, went through the process of rehabbing full gut rehab, ran into every roadblock you could run into, just contractor issues, everything, you you know, you name it. And finally get to the finish line. Um, I hosted actually one guest and then Hurricane Ian hit and took half of my roof off. So I had water damage. I had to redo all the ceiling drywall and a um, handful of other issues. So just got done rehabbing again and it's a big event weekend in daytona so we're we're opening up reopening up this week again so fingers crossed that <laughs> it goes well uh yes definitely our fingers are crossed for you and so tell us like what was the catalyst that got you into doing short-term rentals with boutique hotel you know that's a a good question. I kind of fell into short-term rentals. Um, I went through a divorce and had to refinance 
a couple properties, put them in just my name. And when I did that, the payment was higher. So the long-term, you know, the long-term leases were not even covering my mortgage now. So I had to think, okay, what do I do? I didn't want to sell them. They were new construction in a great location. Uh, but there was an opportunity for midterm rentals in this market. So I started doing midterm rentals, but then I had gaps in my calendar. And this was kind of before Airbnb was a household name. So I said, let me try it on Airbnb, see what happens. Um, first guest, I got like a three-star review. Didn't realize at the time that that was awful. I was like, oh, okay. Not <laughs> it's not one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it started booking like crazy and, you know, then I put all the processes in place to, to be more successful with, with my guest experience. But that's when I really fell in love with the guest experience yeah. and realized I really love creating a space for people to come vacation. I'm a mother and I love traveling with my kids and it's always fun to stay at unique spots. And that's really what inspired me to with, with every property I curate. Love it. Tell me like, go back prior to the divorce. Tell me like, what, what was the catalyst to buy the rental properties in the first place? Um, my ex owned a business and we would rent out these properties to our staff basically. So kind of dipping your toe in the landlord water. Um, it's much easier to rent them out to people you know, when you're in charge. So there, you know, I, we never looked at anything as far as the cash flow. I didn't never, did we underwrite a property? It was just like, this would be a good property for the business need, not looking at, not looking at the property as an investment. So, um, really had to shift my mindset when I got into real investing. Exactly. So as the business grew, the employee count grew, and then it was like, Hey, because we have so much extra revenue in the business, we just buy properties. It's so that the underwriting was, was less important at that point. Yeah. They, our employees were living there. So it, that was the purpose of them not to cash flow. Yeah. So then all of a sudden fast forward, divorce happens. Now you're single, single mom, I'm assuming yeah. single mm -hmm. mom scrambling okay. Now at this point, like, had you been managing those at all, or was it like just complete foreign language? You have to hop in and start figuring this out. I was, I was not super involved, um, but I had started, I, I was in learning mode, you know, the, as I was transitioning to being on my own, I was just like a sponge learning as much as I can. So when it was time to take over. Um, I had a lot of the tools in place now, major learning lessons along the way as well. Um, probably every, you know, I learned a lot of things the hard way, uh, which is why I like to talk and share and share my mistakes. So hopefully no one else makes them. Right. Um, but it was, I guess I never thought about that, but yeah, it was kind of just diving in. And the fact that you haven't thought about it probably was just like, you must've been so laser focused on where you were heading. How old were your children at that point? Ooh, two, four, and six. Okay. So they weren't like mostly raised or anything. I mean, they were like right in the thick. I mean, two is a, two, four is an interesting age. Yeah. Yeah. They were, 
very, 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 uh, involved, you know, very hands-on. Yeah. And if Airbnb was not well known, I mean, like there's not YouTube putting out all these midterm documentaries, like what sort of process did you have to go to to find this? Or was it just kind of all creating as you went? I learned everything from trial and error. Now I'm not recommending anyone do that, but at the time there wasn't all the content that there is now. So everything was really trial and error. Um, just learning as I went along, like, oh, this was a big mistake. How can I not do that moving forward? And just figuring things out. Yeah. So you get the ball rolling, you're making some mistakes, income starting to go up a little bit. Like when, when does the compass start pointing north for you? So as I, as I started growing my portfolio, you know, the market was taking off. So I had that on my side. Um, I invested in a couple like smaller multifamily properties and then a, a great property in Fort Myers Beach that also got hit by Hurricane and that's a whole other story. Um, but it's, it started good. It, it, it took off right away. Um, I, I learned that putting great teams in place was most important. Anytime I struggle, even now, it's because I don't have a great team in place. Um, great teams are hard to find. Great help is hard to find, especially now. But that's that's the key. That's the commonality amongst every property, every project, whether it's a motel conversion or a long-term rental. It's having a great team behind you. Yeah. It's so... The transition from the single family to the hotels, was it just like, hey, more units equals more money or, or was it just a, an attraction to like the function of a hotel? So I like the model that with commercial properties and multifamily, you can force appreciation. Um, that was one thing I, I learned Grant Cardone, like love him or hate him. He's got some, some good, good knowledge. Um, so I knew I wanted to get into multifamily and as the market started getting really hot, multifamily became harder to find. So there were opportunities on these kind of like wonky properties that didn't fit the buy box of most investors that had a very narrow buy box that want, you know, multifamily block, you know, um, very narrow buy box. So I, since, because I was more creative and I have more of I can walk into a place and say okay this looks like awful now bad situation but I like to see what it could be like that's that's kind of my superpower is I can see the end in mind and then all we have to do is create it yeah yeah position it over that is that is amazing and so here you are you're you're running as fast as you can how were how you building your relationships to, to get the financing and, and are you running these as syndications or are you running these as just with partners doing it on your own? Syndications. Um, I, most of them I, I just do on my own uh, relationship with private and hard money lenders, local banks. And then I have a business partner and we do fix and flips and we leverage those same relationships. Um, so it's really, you know, I wanted to keep everything, small while I was, you know, before I syndicate, I want to make sure I was an expert at my craft before I, you know, if I lose my own money, that's one thing, but I don't 
before I take that next step, I want to have proof of concept and um, be able to show like I've, I've done it with my own money. Love it. Yeah, I mean, that's tremendous. I mean, the number of people that go out and use private money to get this going, I mean, most of the time it's syndication early on. So kudos to you for keeping it small and for delivering. What, what, what are some of the successes and challenges you faced along the way as you left single family have gotten into the multi? So I guess it's a lot of the same challenges, actually. Yeah. Um, there's just so much more upside. You know, when, when I think about it, even with diversifying markets, you know, if I have a 12-unit building, same handyman, you know, same lawn, all the same vendors, then it's, it's easy when you have all these single family. Now you need all these different vendors. Um, it's a lot to juggle. I mean, even just shopping for the insurance and, you know, paying all the bills and making sure they're all on auto pay and keeping it in a multifamily where there's one vendor, one mortgage, one utility bill, it just kind of simplifies it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. And once you get to a certain size, you know, the property manager gets a lot easier to coordinate, so on and so forth. So where, like you're on a pretty fast escalation. Where do you see yourself in say three to five years? I want to get into developments actually. Yeah. So that I see as the next step. Um, I've learned, I, I knew nothing about construction, like legitimately couldn't change a light bulb. And I'm certainly still not great or, <laughs> but I'm learning a lot. So my goal is to understand not the nitty gritty, but just the high level of the process of everything so that when the time comes to manage that process, I have all the skill set in place and confidence to do that. And you say that, don't know, know, you know much about this or that, but you're managing these, it sounds like fairly decent rehabs with the hurricane. And so like, give me like some deeper insight into that. Like, what, what kind of damage happened? And are, are you the one talking to the contractors or the subs? And without that knowledge, like, how are you keeping these, these guys from keep taking advantage of you? Great question. So my business partner, that's her strength. Um, so that's why we make a great team because her strength is on the construction side. She has a great personality for um, kind of, we're, we're sugar and spice. She's yep. the spice sugar. Um, so I'm great with vacationers in, in ocean, you know, destinations and she kind of, you know, uh, can put people, you know, check people when, when need be. So we've been a good balance there. Um, but I also learned a lot from her as to, you know, what she's doing that's working, where mistakes are still made because no one's perfect. And, um, you know, I don't, my goal is to never have to manage contractors and subs because um, it's just not what I enjoy, but at least knowing when things are going right or wrong to pivot when needed. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so nice. I've managed a number of contractors and subs. And if you can get through your real estate journey without having to do that, it's a much smoother ride. So, uh, <laughs> so development. So talk to me. I mean, you, you guys are on the beach, you know, or, or at least relatively close to it. Like, give me, give me an idea or a vision. Like what do these developments look like? So I love the concept of unique. Yeah. Airbnb is unique living. 
So if, you know, thrown, thrown around all different ideas, tiny homes or, you know, yurts or glamping sites, but finding a piece of land probably won't be on the beach, but a little bit inland or near Disney where we can set up almost like a community for that and have shared, you know, um, shared areas where there's fire pit games, pool, but creating a whole little like resort community for Airbnb with unique experiences. So cool. And Florida is getting a large influx of people. Yeah. From all over the country, a lot from California, I know, because I'm sending a ton of them over in that direction. <laughs> what is the landscape like for development out there? I mean, like in our area, development can be a little bit tough, particularly if you get out to the Bay Area or LA. It's so hard to get things rezoned. And out there, what's the landscape like for developers? Is it, you know, like a blue ocean or, or is there more, is it getting more difficult? It's, it's very uh, municipality by municipality. So there's some areas where, you know, we don't see any opportunity for that, but then there's other pockets where there's big opportunities that still want to, you know, grow. We, we think of Florida as like all beaches, kind of like Miami or Orlando, but there's a lot of rural in between all of those areas. And those areas are now expanding and they're becoming popular because there's nowhere for people to live. So they're kind of moving everywhere on the outskirts. So there's um, there's definitely pockets that are, are right for opportunity. Love it. And so the development, like when you think about it, are you thinking about going in that direction for the monetary opportunities, for the creative outlets? Like how do you gauge the type of opportunities that you pursue? So it's a combination of everything. Um, obviously the goal is freedom, right? Yep, so 100%. the less, <laughs> the less uh, really in the weeds that we need to be, but projects like that, we see a larger return. So, the you know, creating something like that and then running it for a couple of years and selling it, there's going to be a, a much larger upside to that. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're continually escalating and, and rising the ladder. Like, is there a point you think that enough is enough and you ride off in the sunset and hang out on Daytona beach? Or is it, is it just like an uphill ride for, for the rest of your life? So I want to say like, I'd love to do that. Um, but it's not my personality. Yeah. No. Um, a lot of what motivates me is like the transformation. Mm -hmm. I love transform a space and um, I'm working on a project now. My most recent project, is a, a historic hotel that's just really been run into the ground for the last seven years by the last management. And the community is like dying for this property to be great again. So that process has been so fun because the community is involved. You know, the community is cheering me on and they, they're involved and they're supportive. So seeing a property transition is so rewarding. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it is one of those things, like every profession has it. Like, you know, when you drive around, you show your kids like, Hey, I, I renovated that building. I did this building. Yeah. That's so fun. Especially when there's such an aesthetic change to, yeah. Yeah. to something. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it's like hard to sell the fix and flips. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm, 
you know, we did a mural on it and I'm like, oh, it's kind of like an um, emotional attachment. hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. Like sometimes we talk about it, like, like people will say it's, it's almost like it's their child or, or something. So like taking that a step further, like what were some of the expectations that you had about real estate before you got into it? And what was it actually like since you've been in? Oh, good question. Hmm. I, you know, I, I don't know if I had expectations. I, I'm not someone that I guess I jump right in and I, I focus on like, okay, what needs to be done? So I guess I didn't have big expectations of what that was supposed to look like. I just knew like we had to get it done. Got to get it done. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and the way that you entered into it was more like, I need to increase the income on these properties because I'm in a different position financially than I was before. So, so were you even thinking like, I'm going to be a real estate person when the divorce happened or did it just kind of evolve? Well, I didn't know I wanted to leave corporate. Yeah. So I worked in corporate medical sales. I had a great career, but, um, I don't really fit in the corporate box by nature. You know, I, I can, but I don't, it doesn't come naturally to me. Um, so sometimes that's a struggle, you know, having a do things because that's the way you do it when you may see another way that clearly, you know, works better. Um, so corporate's always been a little bit of a, a love hate. And I knew once I was on my own, I wanted to spend more time with my kids. I wanted to homeschool them, which I'm doing now. And real estate was the vehicle I saw that could get me to that freedom. And, um, not that I necessarily work less, but I work different. Yes. Ooh, this is so good. Yeah. So tell us as a mother that gets to homeschool, like what does a day look like? How are you able to piece it together and how has real estate provided that freedom for you to be able to do that? Well, I have them in a co-op three days a week. So two days are like our intense homeschool. But we also sometimes homeschool on the weekends. It just, you know, today we had to come out to the the motel. So we're going to do some homeschool on the weekend. But they also get hands-on learning. So the things I wish I knew, you know, way before I was in my late 20s, early 30s, was how to be an entrepreneur and how to understand projects like this and giving them that hands-on exposure, you know, I don't bring them to my projects and like put them on an iPad with headphones. Like they come around, they understand what's going on. Um, they, they see how pe other people are living, you know, from, from different walks of life. And, you know, they, they pick up trash. I had them out here picking up trash in my seashells. So I want them to understand like that work ethic. hundred percent. That is so amazing. So they're getting both you and the homeschooling, but they're getting to see these renovations, to see the way that these properties, what's their interaction been like? You know, I'm sure it's different. You have three different kids, so all are going to respond differently, but I'm a dad of, of four children. So how are they responding to this? Are they all taking to it or some of them taking to it? So they all take to it. They do kind of put their own personality twist on it. I, I, my, my middle one is, uh, he's going to be an entrepreneur for sure. Like <laughs> no doubt about he negotiates, it. <laughs> he negotiates uh, every chance he gets. Um, but they all, they, they all like to be hands-on. They all 
enjoy it, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping that that's kind of, they are starting to enjoy the creation of things and, you know, the fixing things up, um, like I do, but I, you know, they want to come, they're like, oh, can we come, when can we come back and stay here? Cause we lived here most of the summer while we were rehabbing. And, um, I think they like seeing the, what they've been a part of creating. 100%. And so how, how far do you live from these properties? This one's about hour 20 minutes okay. from our house. Yeah. I try to stay within, you know, a reasonable drive because a lot of it's so hands-on at times. If you're managing construction projects, especially because it sounds like this could be another construction project at any time if another hurricane rolls, rolls through. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Let's not talk about that. So tell me like, did you feel like you were an entrepreneur at birth or like where, where did your desire to, I mean, obviously you ended up in corporate sales, but did you kind of always have an entrepreneurial leaning? No, I mean, I, I never knew what an entrepreneur was. Yeah. Um, both of my parents worked corporate jobs, nurse, engineer, same job since they got out of college, um, cash and envelopes, no credit cards. Dave Ramsey know. system. Yeah, like just, very conservative, traditional. And, um, when I was married, we, we grew the business and we moved to a very affluent, uh, country club and go to the clubhouse, mingle with people. And I started got it, getting to know these people that were like uber successful. And I always thought people that were uber successful like that had some sort of magic powers, <laughs> like they were born like that. Or I, I just, thought I was different. I wasn't like that. Um, and I started realizing these people are just people and not necessarily smarter. Like yeah, I, right. know, that quality I thought they had, they didn't have. Um, and so that really like was a aha moment for me that if, if they could do it, I can do it. Um, there's nothing different. It's just, they're, really what I, what I see is execution and people being able to actually execute on something. And no matter what gets in the way, that execution doesn't stop. That's, that's spot on. And oftentimes studies are showing that the IQ of these successful people are oftentimes lower, like 30, 40 IQ points lower than these, you know, super academics. Like it, it's the people that excel in school oftentimes have the wrong philosophical framework to be really successful. It's, it's very, very interesting. So what would be your advice? You went through some, some difficult times, you know, throughout the divorce, what would be your advice to women that are going through difficult times in their lives and how, like what sort of mindsets, thought processes did you develop that allowed you to be so successful so quickly? Yeah. So a lot of, uh, a lot of, what I went through was um, uh, abuse in many forms, uh, including emotional abuse, which when you hear you're no, you're not good, you can't do things, you're, you're dumb, over and over and over, you start to believe it, right? Um, but then here I am in my corporate job and I'm like uber successful. So I feel like, you know, as, as much as I didn't love corporate, that in a way saved me from thinking differently about myself. Um, although there were like some dark times, but really believing in yourself 
and knowing your worth, knowing your talent, knowing your skill sets and not letting anyone take that away from you. I talked to so many women and they're like, you know, I, I love what you're doing. Like, I wish I could do it. And I'm like, you can, like you can. <laughs> um, but I think the belief I had growing up of where you have some sort of superpower, um, is what a lot of people think. They think like they can't do it, even though they see other people just like them doing it. But something within them is is holding them back from believing that. And once I started to really lean into believing in myself and just saying nothing is going to get in my way, I'm not going to let. I'm, I just have to stay laser focused on my goals and my dreams and what I want. Um, and a lot of that for me was just keep staying focused on like my children and knowing that I had to do this for them. Yeah. So you're, you're focused on your children. It's a must win. And you have a side by side comparison. Like my, my husband or ex-husband is saying I'm dumb. He's saying all these bad things, but my corporate job says otherwise. And so like, let's say, let's say someone doesn't have the corporate job, like obviously a commitment to some other human being, like your kids can be a mission that works. What, what were some of the ways, like, did you just start to finally say, Hey, like, I believe my corporate job is more right than my husband or like, how did you start pulling yourself out? I mean, I, I didn't believe that I, I, I questioned myself all the time and, you know, it's, it's something I still struggle with sometimes today because that just gets so ingrained in you. Um, but just focusing on the things that, you know, you do well and that, you know, we all are good at something and we have a passion. And if you have a passion about something, like no one can take that away from you. Yeah. So start with passion and then align with the aptitude, like align with things that you've at least feel like you've done well in the past and then build upon it. Yeah. And I love how you tie it to mission too, because, you know, I've heard a number of people say that like a lot of people who are going through a depressed time can get out of it with serving others. And mm -hmm. kids are kind of a default have to serve others <laughs> scenario. So what, like if we paint broad strokes, like how do you think about your goals and your visions? Do you set them in one year chunks and 10 year chunks? How do you think about your life in the future? Um, I kind of break it down to, you know, I, I look at, okay, what do I want immediately? Um, what do I want in the, you know, foreseeable next couple of years? And then long-term big picture, what do I want? And the commonality for me is, is, as cliche as it might be on your podcast is freedom That's it. Uh, to not, you know, not freedom that I just want to go lay on the beach all day and sit margaritas, but freedom that I want to pursue things that I'm interested in and, and that I'm passionate about. So having that freedom, you know, there's so many people that are stuck in cubicles and they are just unhappy and it doesn't, you know, for me, that would be, I, I want to be happy. I want to be doing what I love. And for me, that doesn't look like being on a beach every day, but for me, it looks like accomplishing things and creating things and enjoying my work. Oh, we're so aligned there. I just got back from the beaches of Mexico and while it was wonderful and gorgeous, 
I couldn't wait to get back here so I could have conversations like these. So I love that freedom to choose the, the way that you want to be valuable to the world and to interact and to have meaning. And this is so great. So thank you so much, Stacey, for sharing about your life and your business with us. So excited. I mean, you got a really cool niche down there in Florida. It's so awesome. So guys, if you're listening, take some notes, share it with somebody you know so that they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you do this, if you start taking action, you're going to be living a life of freedom before you know it. So thank you guys for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode.